To make you want me, I can fabricate the truth. I'll give you easy, it'll keep me destitute. You hang me up on the line, hang me out to dry, and you got nothing to lose. Hello, this is episode 49 of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. We're here today to talk about episode 3 of season 3B, which is episode 15 of season 3 overall, Galvanize. Karen and I are here today with, once again, a new special guest to help us this week. And this week we have Caitlin. So hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Before we get into it, as usual, if you have anything to chat with us about, you can reach us on our Twitter, our email, or our Tumblr, or you can leave comments on the Hyperball post for this episode. The Twitter is natwpodcast, the email is natwpodcast at gmail.com, and the Tumblr is notanotherteenwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. And obviously we are always on all of those things chatting to you, either me or Karen or Brooke or Courtney or Donya, we are on the internet at all times because we're nerds. Caitlin is a hyperball staffer who's been on several podcasts. I recently did a Glee chat with Caitlin. She's an excellent podcast guest and I did not even know whether she liked Teen Wolf or not. And I was like, Karen, does she watch Teen Wolf? Because she needs to come on this show. <laughs> um, so, so here she is. <laughs> And Caitlin, what do you cover on Hyperball specifically, and and what do you do there at the moment? I cover Supernatural and now Arrow. I was covering Nikita, but it ended, and also kind of news from the Flash spinoff that's starting to come in, and I'm also on the Rewatchable podcast with Karen. Cool. Supernatural and Arrow are two shows that I am potentially watching this year. Supernatural, I've never seen a single episode and it's nine seasons in and I'm very worried, but I just keep seeing so much hilarity that I just feel like I can't, and also so much like trauma that I feel like (laughs) I can't stay away. But I've heard so much like bad things like about like, I don't know, was there a bit in the middle where it all went wrong or something? I don't I don't really know, like, what happened. But, I, I, like, I've heard so much drama from that fandom. Maybe it's just because it's been going for nine seasons. I mean, it goes wrong, like, every episode <laughs> to varying degrees. <laughs> and trauma is a very good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, uh, I'm very tempted. And even my housemate, who I thought would have no interest ever, because usually she kind of avoids not... Not fandom stuff, but like that things that have that kind of fandom. But she's like, I think I want to watch Supernatural, and I'm like, really? You're saying this now? We could have started watching it like seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but Arrow obviously is the home of our good friend Jackson Colton Haynes, and is it good? Oh my god, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. I was watching Arrow before I watched Teen Wolf, so I got kind of the reverse. Oh wow. Um, feeling so coming back to Arrow after seeing Colton Haynes on <laughs> Teen Wolf was interesting because the characters are very different. But I... Arrow is fantastic. It starts really slow, but then it kind of gets its feet and it does not look back. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm quite keen on the Flash spinoff as well because. 
Grant Gustin of uh, Glee prior fame is a fantastic guy and a fantastic actor and one of the most underused actors to have been on Glee. So hopefully he's doing a bit better in uh, Arrow if they're giving him his own show. He was adorable. Like, he is absolutely adorable in the part, so I'm very excited for him to have his own show. Yeah. So Arrow's something that we won't talk too much about right now, but we're thinking maybe the next hiatus, whenever that happens, we might do a couple of episodes of this show purely reviewing a project, a current project of a, of a Teen Wolf cast member, like Donya and I both watch Rain, which has Adelaide Kane on it, and then there's Arrow, and rather than going episode by episode, we might just do a, a single episode of this show, sort of saying what we think about, you know, another project, another big current project. So if we do one for Arrow, you should come on. Absolutely. Yeah. That's something we're just thinking about at the moment, but uh, it could be fun. So we'll go in straight away, Karen, if you want to start off. I don't know who wants to go first with the quotes. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> let's let's start with yours, because that definitely just made me giggle. <laughs> okay, I actually changed mine a couple of times, because this episode had a lot. I was going to say, this isn't what you had on <laughs> there to begin I kind with. I <laughs> changed it mainly because you didn't put this scene in as like a focal point to recap in the episode and the other quote I put in before was one that is a scene we'll talk about anyway but I picked in the scene where Kira and Mr. Yakamura where she was kind of just sitting having lunch with her dad because she didn't have any friends and they're sort of discussing why you know no one is interested in her and whatever and he seems number one her dad seems like really keen for it to be like a dating thing and she's like I just want a friend uh but anyway he was like she was like, the only person that's taken any interest in me, you know, is a rabid coyote. And he's like, maybe you could date the coyote. And I was just, number one, it's just a funny thing, like, to say. It's just a hilarious, like, yeah, cool, good solution, Dad. But number two, I, I feel like it may have, like, launched a thousand ships, if you know what I mean, between Kira <laughs> and Malia. Like, if, you know, you know, I, I know that Jeff's talked about potentially having like a female gay character, a lesbian werewolf or whatever. I don't know if that's, you know, Malia, were-coyote, whatever. But just the fact that he said, oh, maybe you could date the coyote and the coyote is actually a person. I just, I don't know. I just found it hysterical for some reason. Uh, <laughs> so that's Actually, I yeah. think there was this really funny gif uh, set going around Tumblr about <laughs> Mr. Yukimura and him being like, upset that he wasn't the one to show Scott how to use the chopsticks and because he was so excited for Scott to come over as a thank you and it was just oh it was so funny so that's actually what I thought of first but oh God. yeah talking about launching a thousand ships what Scott and Mr. You oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay yeah that whole scene at their house I'm sure we'll get to but it was like I like when the mum is again it was it was a totally like um one one word thing but when the mother kind of after he does that whole thing with the sushi and you know there's all that like oh I'm catching the sushi oh I'm using the chopsticks and he she just kind of looks at him and goes sushi like as in really, like, you, you orchestrated this, like, you're showing off, and what are you trying to achieve here? It's hilarious. And, uh, but anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah, Mr. Yokomura is proving to be some comedy gold at the moment. <laughs> uh, Caitlin, why don't you go next, because you definitely have one of the best quotes of 
uh, just ever, I think. <laughs> I was vacillating, but I ended up picking this one, which is um, our favorite moment when Allison and Isaac get interrupted uh-huh. by the return of Chris Argent. And he goes, Allison, can I see you in my office where I keep my guns? And then there's a beat and you hear screaming, another werewolf! It's just so <laughs> funny. Congratulations on your re-entrance to the show, Chris Argent. It was wonderful. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, that scene! I can't, I, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it right should now. Neither I. So funny. Oh, I just let's let's move on, and we'll get yeah. to it when we get to it because I I it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen on the show. Like I don't I don't I just we'll get there, but I have no words. I'm just gonna be like screaming. But anyway, yeah, go yeah. on. <laughs> well, my favorite line, oddly enough, comes yeah. from Barrow. He actually had a lot of really good lines in this episode, which kind of freaks me out. But um, like this him. one, what? I said it freaks you out because you're going to like him or something. Well, I like Doug Jones a lot because he's really great. But Barrow definitely scared the crap out of me. Yeah. But anyway, his one of the lines that he says is, nobody cares about crappy remakes when he's talking <laughs> <laughs> that one movie um what was yeah. it children of the damned yeah 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 it's obviously and lampshading the fact that teen wolf of course. And it's so funny i, was, I felt like <laughs> that was like jeff like all of a sudden um doug jones turned into jeff and he just like turned and was like nobody cares about crappy remakes and i was dying like jeff was just speaking to us there so funny i love when shows do stuff like that like i'll tell you my favorite moment of that in like history pretty much it's in like the first couple of seasons of dawson's creek if you uh, ever watched dawson's creek and josh jackson who plays pacey it's like oh yeah like you know blah blah blah, something like you know oh like those kids in those ducks movies man i loved those kind of thing like from the mighty ducks which he was in as a child and I just died and it's the only thing I've retained about Dawson's Creek basically. <laughs> well but, now you really need to watch Supernatural because Supernatural is as meta as it gets. Yeah, I've, I've, seen, I've seen so many things on Tumblr in the like a few months I've actually been using Tumblr that seem to be like real things from the show that seem like they would <laughs> never happen in any other show. Like is there an episode where they literally play their real life selves? Yes, there's an episode where they go to an alternate world where there's a TV show called Supernatural starring Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles, so they have to play themselves playing themselves. Oh, my. No. (laughs) What? Has no one gone, oh, this is a bit of a joke by now? Like, is it? I don't really understand, but, like, do they pull it off? Like, do they pull off doing stuff like that, or is it, like, a comedy? Like, it's done well. Like, it's yeah. just, they're so self-aware mm. that and very aware of their fandom. Like, there's a series of books about their lives. There is a convention for those books. <laughs> what? Like, yeah. Except there's an episode the, with the my, convention. The best part about that is the covers of those books. <laughs> they're, oh, like, romance covers. novels. Yes, they're so uh, ridiculous. Well, I think my roommate real, seriously wants to watch it purely because she appreciates the way that Misha Collins treats fans. Like, literally, that's her grounds for wanting to watch supernatural so she's like she's like i want to be a fan of misha collins for what he actually does not just like him on the internet and i'm like okay i guess we can do that (laughs) um but yeah it's uh i I have got the got the idea that it is completely ridiculous so i am looking forward to that i suppose (laughs) 
Uh, let's jump right into the discussion because we actually have a lot to talk about. A lot of stuff happened in this episode, and I think that we just, in general, have a lot of thoughts about this. But basically, the episode opens up with William Barrel. Uh, the shrapnel bomber being wheeled in for surgery. And basically what he did was he killed a bunch of kids. I think there was five of them. Well, four of them died. One of them has no legs. And he says that it's because their eyes were glowing. And this sort of blew my mind a little bit because I was expecting Barrow. I was not prepared for that. Yeah. I was expecting him to be like a crazy person serial killer. And yeah, he is a crazy person serial killer, but he's seen people's eyes glow. And that kind of gives you like a basis for his insanity. And yeah, I was not prepared for that. So with that, do you think it's, I mean, it's a big question, I suppose, but like, do you think it's literally what he was talking about with the like with the movie? Like he he's a crazy person, so he saw glowing eyes and thinks that they're evil, if you know what I mean, and then he's crazy. Or do you think that he knows more about the supernatural and he knows they're werewolves and they're, he's actually trying to kill werewolves or whatever? I actually don't think that he knows about the supernatural. I kind of took this, and I could be totally wrong here, but I kind of took this as what if – a regular person, a regular human being with no knowledge of the supernatural. A crazy so, regular person. Well, yeah, yeah, but maybe he wasn't crazy to begin with. Who knows? But somebody who didn't believe in that sort of things come into contact with it. So not like Allison's family who are hunters, you know, not somebody who is bitten, who has to deal with the supernatural and is supernatural now, but somebody who's kind of isolated from it. Yeah. And goes up against this and finds out, and this is how they process this information, which is yeah. kind of scary. Well, it's an interesting comparison to say the other character that we've seen have that happen, which is like the Tyler Posey's dad, like the doctor, not, not Mr. Right. McCall, like the doctor played by John Posey, you know, in those shorts uh, where he kind of found out a little bit and, and ended up doing all that research and being branded as a crazy person whereas this guy is just flat out crazy yeah I was kind of also not ready for him to be like actually having some connection to the supernatural but I think that if he had been like aware of what he was hunting he probably would have approached Kira differently at the end Mm. he probably would have had a more like vicious and maybe like something that actually worked yeah, whatever she is. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that, but, you know, it obviously opens up the question, like, when has he seen her? What does he, why does he suspect her of being whatever she is? You know, like, what yeah. has he seen and where? But mm. anyway. That's something that I was really questioning because we haven't seen anything and he, I don't know. I mean, her family and everything moved from New York. So the only thing I can think of is maybe he followed them or something. I'm not sure, but I wasn't under the impression that we had gotten any sneak peeks into her possibly having any sort of powers until, you know, this episode. No, neither. And then, I mean, maybe it's just based on what he heard, maybe like... I don't know, but it's really, really strange. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that, but it was, yeah, all of the, like, you know, thing about her, you know, him knowing her name and who he was looking for. I was like, how, when, why, what, like, yeah. kind of thing. Like, but, Do we know how long he'd been in prison before this? No. I'm, I mean, I, I don't think it was that long. I feel like, you know, 
if they were doing the operation because the shrapnel, you know, quote unquote shrapnel from a previous injury, which I assume would be the bomb, uh, was, you know, causing blockages. It can't have been in him for that long. I don't know how long people can live with stuff like that. I mean, unless you're Iron Man, but. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just thinking like how many opportunities he would have had to find Kira like if he had been in prison for a while then yeah you know but I if mean, he had maybe it she very was, long that maybe that's more opportunity she, no one I mean no one was saying it out loud but maybe she was one of the people at the original school that he was trying to blow up oh, oh. that's definitely a possibility I genuinely have no idea and we're really off track as far as everything goes because this episode <laughs> is a big mess but yeah that was my only idea that but again I they didn't say either way, but, like, if they're bringing him to, you know, he, he's apparently from somewhere in the vague area, like, if, you know, the hospital's in the area. It's not like they flew him from New York, like, to – or maybe right. maybe they lived in – the Yukimura lived in California and then New York to get away from that after it happened and then move back. Right, because her mother did say that yeah. she has you know what I mean. Like, yeah, but, again, yeah. I'm just making this up as I go along and it's – probably wrong (laughs) what can you do (laughs) well talking about school and everything um (laughs) Ethan and Aiden show up at school and they confront Scott and they basically say they need an alpha and he needs to add members to his pack so he can become more powerful and uh Styles and Isaac are having none of it and Scott basically says no and I think the whole fandom rejoiced because they brought up uh Boyd's death and how the twins helped with that and so basically the twins decide to go back to high school oh, to prove God. themselves to Scott and this is actually where your original quote came Yeah there from, well, there right? were so many things in this entire thing like this scene and the next scene which was so funny but yeah, the original thing I put in before I changed to that Kira quote was when Ethan is kind of, you know, they're talking about it. It's like, if we, you know, we don't get with Scott, we'll be dead. And Ethan's just like, ugh, being dead would be dead still better than being back at high school, which is like <laughs> su- such such a truth. But, uh, but I don't know, the whole thing, like, I like how they were kind of still questioning each other about, like, their romantic interests, like, you know, Ethan was like, is this because of Lydia? And Ethan, Aiden's like, no. And then he kind of points to Danny with the other guy and be like, come on, come come and rescue him from that, <laughs> that guy. And uh, it's all very funny, but Isaac and Styles's little angel and devil on, I mean, they're not, they're both got the same opinion, but like, I love Isaac and Styles like bracketing Scott and kind of having all this banter at him, which, you know, you know, helps him make his decisions. But when he goes inside and and the whole hot girl bit, I just, (laughs) I I can't, I'll tell you what the best bit was of this entire thing. Like, because I saw sort of a little bit of that, you know, gift and, you know, style saying, you know, everyone wants to be around you now because you're like the apex predator. You're like the hot girl in school. And he's sort of standing there thinking to himself and he goes, and I love how Isaac walks up and he's like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, I'm the hot girl. And Isaac's just like, yes, you are. Like, (laughs) you do you, buddy. If you want to be the hot girl, you be the hot girl. You're my alpha. If you want to be the hot girl, that's fine. Like, it's just beautiful. I don't know. It was just the delivery of Styles and Isaac in this entire twins situation is fantastic, and I love it. I love them. I just, I can't believe I used to hate Isaac so much. He's comedy gold. Uh, yeah. 
But anyway, uh, in the next scene, we get Barrow, and he's in surgery, and Melissa is there, and basically what happens is he has this tumor inside of him, and all of a sudden it kind of starts moving, and it opens up, and flies burst out of it. And then, somehow, we have no idea how, I don't think anyone knows how, he wakes up out of the anesthesia, stabs the doctor, and escapes in an ambulance. It was Uh, so gross, It was horrifying. (laughs) Kaylin, it's funny because I actually really wanted you to be on this episode because I knew it was going to be super creepy. And (laughs) I know that, like, you like Supernatural and you like some of the darker stuff. I think we talked about this on Rewatchable a little bit, that you like sort of darker, creepier things. So I was like, Kaylin has to be on this episode. (laughs) So gross. Terrifying. Like, when he stabs the guy and just, like, goes off, like... Oh, I'm horrified right now. Oh, it was the, the flies. For me, though, was Melissa was right there. I mean, she ends up holding the doctor as he's dying. And, like, that really scares me how close she was. It was so gross. I can't. I've literally in my notes, I've just put after a note that says Coach Greenberg sad face because of the mug. <laughs> but because after that, I've just I've got that note and then I've just got a note saying gross with like seven S's, which is about that entire scene because it was one of the most disgusting things ever. I'm sorry. Oh. So now it's I'm funny because, because Lydia said she knew it was electricity at the end she was hearing. So what is with the flies if she was not hearing flies? I don't know. It's <laughs> that's, uh, you know, we'll save that one to ask Jeff. Maybe there is some connection like or maybe. Well, it's funny because I think it was Isaac who specifically said that he only found stuff about like flies and dead people and that seems significant to me even though it was sort of like a throwaway line at the time because they didn't really come up with anything significant and it makes me wonder if like he's like reanimated yeah or like if he's gonna come back to life too and because we don't really know anything about him prior to when this first got introduced and I mean, obviously he's alive. They had like heart monitors and stuff like that, but I don't know. I just feel like there's definitely something else going on there. Yeah. I, I feel like he's definitely not quite normal slash human if he's waking up from, from that. So now we're bringing in the walking dead. (laughs) (laughs) We usually have about 10 other references in each episode of this podcast. So we're, we're building our way up there. Um, actually, one of the grossest parts for me, which is kind of funny considering just coming out of this scene, is the next scene when Derek stitches Peter's finger back on because they did like a close-up of that and of him shoving the needle in there. And Der- uh, Peter didn't have any anesthetic, by the way, so that had to have been pretty painful. And that just kind of grossed me out big time. But we finally find out what's in the content or what the contents are of the box. And it's Talia's claws. Did anyone, like, have any idea? Well, I thought it was an urn. I thought it was their version of an urn. I was not – and I thought it might be ashes or something for some sort of – not reincarnation, but some sort of ritual. Like, I was very close in my idea of what – was going on but I was not expecting these disembodied claws and it was pretty gross but I thought um, they were teeth at first when they came out I was really yeah. horrified uh Peter's Peter's line in that scene also was also made my 
top cut where he was like, are you going to tell me what I risked life and digit for? He's <laughs> such a wanker. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I love him so much. Oh. He's terrible, but I love him. But my question about the urn and the claws is where were they before? Like, did he capture – did did they steal them or take them off the South American hunters? Why did South American hunters have them? Or did he have them in his possession and they all got captured, like Peter, Derek, and the urn, if you know what I mean? Like, were they going to the South American hunters to get those things back and why did they have them, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we know that Cora was down there looking for something. We know that's why Derek went down there. And it seems, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that they must have had them, but why? Like, unless they can use them for something as well. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. But basically, Derek takes them because he needs to communicate with Talia, and this is how he's going to do it. And the thing that really jumped out, to me in this scene we'll get to like him actually talking to her sort of later he doesn't really do it as far as we see but peter agrees to help um he's gonna put the claws on and put them in in derek's neck and that's why derek needs peter's help but peter wants the claws afterwards and he was Mm -hmm. like what i'm sentimental and i'm like no peter you are not sentimental you don't give a crap like he's definitely up to something but I don't know what it could be. I don't know if he wants to keep them so Derek can't use them anymore or if he needs to talk to Talia, but he's obviously going to need help doing that if he does. Maybe he thinks he can, like, get some sort of alpha power. I don't know. Peter really confuses me, and there's a few bits in this episode that I was like, sometimes I think maybe he does have, like, sentiment, but he pretends he doesn't and covers, like, like, that it's a double cross, if you know what I mean. Like, that he says, oh, it's sentiment, but he says it sarcastically because he doesn't actually want to admit that he is being emotional. Not that I think that that's what's happening in this specific circumstance, but sometimes I wonder how many meanings what he says has. It really confuses me. Uh, but there was a bit later where I was like, was he being genuine or is he, like, worried? Basically, when they came out of that trance and – he was like, did you talk to her? Did she say anything about me? Was um, To me, that seemed so earnest and lonely, like, oh, my God. But it also could have been, I'm really worried. Oh, my God, has she told you something I don't want you to know that I thought would never get out because everyone who knows it is dead, if you know what I mean. like. I read that as worried. Yeah, I, I, I kept yeah. going back and forth between the two. Like, did she say – but in in cuz sometimes i look at peter and i see this like really upset little boy who just wants to be like really close to people who were always closer to each other than they were to him if you know what i mean with the rest of the hails but then sometimes i'm like you're just a manipulative dick so i don't know <laughs> but yeah the the stabbing in the neck that was fun oh yeah he definitely got a little bit of revenge for the whole sewing his finger back on thing yeah <laughs> Um, But kind of, we mentioned it a little bit, but Lydia's been hearing (sighs) some buzzing all day. And uh, Aiden shows up at her locker and she says, look, I'm not going to make out with you. I don't know. Who do you think you are? And he doesn't even say anything. And she basically gives in to him. They try to do it in Coach's office, which doesn't work because of the whole mischief night thing that Scott and Styles set up, which was hilarious, by the way, when Orny Adams falls out of his chair like that. It was so funny. 
Um, but <laughs> they can't do it in coach's office, which is probably a good thing because William Barrow is in there. And I don't know about you guys, but this was the creepiest part of the episode for me. I mm-hmm. gasped and like put my hands over my mouth because he was behind the door. And then because he's bleeding out, he picks up a stapler and closes his open wound up and laughs about it. What a winner. What a fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's creepy. (laughs) My thing about that whole thing is he cut off his medical bracelet and dropped it in the room. So presumably someone's going to find that at some point and be like, oh, he was here, I was right or wrong or whatever. Like, like say, for example, a sheriff or whatever. So I was surprised that didn't come up again, but I guess because coach's office is trashed, they might not find it straight away. But that's, like, hard evidence there, so... Right. Yeah, because basically they think that um, he's at the school, and the school goes on lockdown, but they can't mm-hmm. find him, and somebody says they saw him somewhere else, so everybody kind of leaves, but the school's yeah. still on lockdown. Oh, and Styles believes... Sheriff. Yeah. Styles believes that he's there, and but nobody can find him, including the wolves, and we'll get to why in a little bit, but Styles ends up pulling the fire alarm because he thinks Barrow's gonna blow up the school. So basically, they're on the right track to thinking that... Uh, He's after somebody specific in the school, or maybe he's after the whole school, and so he pulls the fire alarm, and Coach is not too happy with him. Yeah, that entire sort of scenario was was quite... Poor Coach, and poor Sheriff, like, when he's like, but Lydia wasn't on the chessboard, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, you're so confused, and I understand that this is all very overwhelming, but... You know, and it's, it's also interesting because it goes, does get to a point he's like, I'm not saying I don't believe you, but I'm going to go with, like, eyewitness over, like, like if, you know, if when you know about the supernatural, if you start, it's, again, the question is if you start believing everything supernatural to be, like, the superior evidence to real, you know, normal evidence or whatever. And it's just a really, uh, really strange thing to to have to deal with, but... Styles and the fire alarm and Lydia's face when Coach came up behind him was uh, a fairly a fairly beautiful moment. But again, it it threw, it threw me right back to like season one where I was always worried that like people would think Styles was like really destructive and messed up and irrational kid because they don't know the motiva- motivations behind what he's doing. But what he ends up doing always looks really bad because yeah, fooling them. Pulling the, it's like what he said, pulling the fire alarm on Mischief Nights, like whatever, done, but like literally pulling a prank when this is, you know, they've been on lockdown because of a serial killer. It's like, that's like, I'm surprised you only got detention, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Caitlin, coming from somebody who is obviously very invested in Supernatural, how do you think <laughs> they're handling the whole like the sheriff now knows about the supernatural and he's sort of getting acclimated to the, you know, knowing that world exists because that's obviously something that comes up in supernatural a lot. So what do you think about how team wolf is handling that? I mean, I feel like I appreciate Papa Stalinsky's like reaction the best because mama McCall is completely on board, which fine, but there comes a point when you have to remember there is human evil out there. Mm. And I feel like 
if you just invest too much in the supernatural, you overlook the human evil, like mm. a serial killer. And so Papa Stalinsky is very, I appreciate that he's still like, you know, there are bad people, but I'm willing to believe the supernatural is an option. So I like that there's that balance. And I just think we need to remember there are bad people out there too. Mm. Right, exactly. Yeah, I I really enjoy how they're doing that because on the one hand, he was like, I think he summed it up best. I'm not saying I don't believe you, but I have to go with the eyewitness. And I think that's just a very practical approach, especially since he's the sheriff. And I have a feeling he's going to be the one to sort of balance out styles a little bit because styles kind of automatically jumps to the supernatural stuff. And granted, he hasn't been wrong yet. I mean, everything in this town does seemingly have to do with the supernatural, but that could be an important thing for Styles to keep in mind for the future. Yeah. I just remember there are a few episodes of Supernatural where it is a human in the end that does it, and they're like immediately like, well, it's obviously Supernatural, and they spend the entire episode trying to figure out what kind of monster it is, and at the end they're like, oh, it was people. Demons I get, people are crazy. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. So just <laughs> like it, there are bad people too. So they're gonna come up on you if you don't remember they're there too. Yeah. Right. And I think you know Barrow being here, obviously he has a little bit of a connection to the supernatural, and he might end up being more supernatural than we first believe. But at the moment, he is very much human. Yeah, and I mean, there's also the whole, you know, whether it's an evil person or, or, or a supernatural being, there's also the, you know, the factor that we saw here of whether I'm taking, you know, handling things like evidence the way that I always have or whether I'm automatically eliminating all of that just because I know supernatural exists and this person's saying I have a supernatural evidence, if you know what I mean, rather than, you know, whether the the Barrow is supernatural or not, like the whole thing with Lydia is like where do you start making that call and like you know when do you trust it every single time or or whatever it must be a hard thing to sort of adapt to yeah definitely switching gears here we get a really good scene another awkward dinner for Scott (laughs) but he's basically at the Yukimura's house and uh Kira's father invited Scott as a thank you for saving his daughter. And they end up having sushi, and Scott's never had sushi before. He doesn't particularly like sushi. And Kira has to show him how to use chopsticks, and he thinks that the wasabi is guacamole. And I I don't know about you guys, but I thought that part was hilarious because I have some funny wasabi stories, so I was wondering <laughs> if you guys did too. I don't, but do you, Caitlin? I avoid eating wasabi as much as possible to avoid funny having funny wasabi <laughs> Well, I'm not that smart. Please tell us, Karen. Well, the first one is uh, one that has to do with me. And I, I mean, I know the potency of wasabi. I'm very aware of it. But one time when I was eating sushi, I had a little bit too much. And I literally felt the vapors come out of my eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And that was like the weirdest feeling, like your whole face flushes. And I just be careful with wasabi, guys. It's really intense. The other one is with my mom, actually. <laughs> and my dad is, uh, he's a jokester. And so mm. he gave her a wasabi pee. And my mom is not really big on trying new things. And mm. he's like, just 
try it. Just try it. If you don't like it, you can spit it out, whatever. And so she very, very reluctantly <laughs> bit into it. Mind you, she's not good with spicy things at all, like can't handle any sort of hot sauce, peppers, nothing. And so she puts this wasabi pea in her mouth, starts crunching on it, and all of a sudden her face... <laughs> Just like her eyeballs go really big, she grabs a soapy washcloth and like starts scrubbing her tongue. Oh my god. No. And she's like, I think there's a hole in my tongue now. You had to be there. It was so funny. Oh. I uh yeah, I cannot say that I have uh have even tried it because I'm scared of such things uh with wasabi. <laughs> I uh, I am. It's very you know common here. Like we have a lot of different Asian food in Australia, but um, yeah, it <laughs> is a bit of a, a bit of a no go zone for me because I am terrified of that kind of thing. And yeah, that whole sushi scene though was so like awkward, and like he was the dad was so like, what are you trying to achieve, dad? And Kira's so embarrassed. He's like. <laughs> Which is something that I've kind of seen a little bit a bit of like before in terms of like people with like a different cultural background, like when they're they have friends or something of a different cultural background come over, their parents like or or you know someone in the family will like kind of show it off even though they don't normally live like that all of the time, like the way that she was kind of right. like, oh, we were gonna have lasagna and you know and the mum's <laughs> like really you made sushi really uh but and that's definitely like a small aspect that I have seen happen a fair bit with different cultures of kind of like when someone else is coming they kind of show it off a little bit and um embarrass the children in some way but Kira catching the sushi with the chopsticks the falling sushi yeah (laughs) that's reflexes that's that's fox reflexes like that's impressive yeah like see how her mother looked at her too and then looked at her husband like uh uh-oh yeah like i feel like that was a big thing uh i think that was meant to show off some sort of supernatural reflexes but in general the whole scene i also want to give a bit of a shout out to the mum mrs yakamura her name is Tamlin Tamita, I think, and she is also in Glee, uh, or was in Glee for a few episodes. She played Mike Chang's mother, and she was a very beautiful and underused character. Like, the episodes that had her in it, she had some, like, pretty heavy storylines with Mike Chang, and she was always a great part of Glee for the few bits that she was in. Okay, cool. She was the one that wanted to be a dancer but didn't yes. end up being Yeah, okay. I do remember her, actually. That's cool. And so that was nice. But the dad, oh, the dad, he's just, what are you trying to do, dad? It's it's beautiful. Why does he want Scott to date his daughter so much? Do you think he knows Scott's a true alpha? I don't know. I don't know, but I think it's funny because the last two episodes I've been like, oh, God, her dad is so embarrassing. This episode, I thought he was really endearing. And even though he did sort of embarrass her again, I felt like it was coming from a much more genuine place. Yeah. And it was really cute how he wanted to impress Scott by making the sushi and all of that. So yeah. it was it was really nice. It was charming. He's he's amazing. And uh, what about the background stuff that we discovered there? Yeah, this is really interesting. So basically, Mrs. Yukimura is Japanese. Mr. Yukimura is Korean. And first of all, this was to accommodate Arden Cho, who's half Korean, half uh, Japanese. And so 
Kira was going to be just Japanese American, but they actually changed it so it would be more accurate to Arden Cho's actual background, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool that they did that. Mm-hmm. But we find out in this episode that Kira's father actually took his wife's last name to carry on her family name because she was the last surviving member of her family and because it also has a unique legacy. And Danya actually wrote up a little bit about this for us, and she says that this is actually an unheard of practice within the Japanese culture and while women tend to control things like the family family finances they're definitely in a less assertive role in the household and they take a back seat to the husband so the Yukimuras are really unique in this sense because the mom seems to be head of the household rather than the father and I guess also um, Japanese native Japanese don't uh, tend to marry outside of their race so the fact that she married a Korean is also kind of important, but she points out, and I think this is the most interesting part, that this family seems to be matriarchal, and that it's like the Argents, because the Argents are led by women, and the Hales, because Talia was a Hale, but so is Peter, so that means that... Derek has his mother's name, they carry the mother, right, her right, family exactly. name. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I mean, we've been told that there's going to be a lot of strong female characters and everything, but I think that seeing all of these families led by women like this is just really interesting. And I wonder what kind of influence and effect that's going to have on like Kira's character and learning more about her family's background. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's significant, you know, given that, you know, she was about to explain the background that Kira should apparently be proud of and that they're going to explain in history class when the whole like conversation was like cock blocked by Scott's wasabi, like instead. (laughs) Uh, Well, sorry, but, it's true um and yeah but like there was clearly something there and you know they're getting married in japan we don't know if she grew up in japan and was traditional japanese story if they just happened to get married there and the law there is that everyone has to take the one name i don't know if that 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 law is even true but i guess what donya was talking about it was like taking the woman's name as being very unheard of they might have just gone to japan to get married so she had a less uh traditional idea of seeing as she said she had family ties to that area in in America. But there's a lot of options here, but we're going to assume that it was something to do with the internment camps, um, you know, that she was part of that and that that was why she was, like, the last surviving member of her family. It's a nice thought, like, you know, regardless, being like, oh, your family is all gone and we'll carry it on by, you know, keeping your family name rather than mine. But it does seem like there's more to it. My immediate thought is that whatever her unique family legacy is has to do with whatever Kira is. Yeah, of course. She had that weird look. So maybe whatever that is goes down the mother's side of the family, which is intriguing that it might just be like a female line. Mm, Like all the females in the family are a thing and the men are just like not or something right and we know that the kitsune like they tend to be women anyway so that's definitely a possibility Mm. but is kira kitsune that's something that we'll we'll get to i mean at the end you have some questions about whether she even knows that she's anything until that point Mm -hmm. if you know what i mean but we'll get there Right. So sort of skipping into the next scene, basically, I just want to talk about Lydia and Styles and how I want them to be BFFs forever. I, I, oh, 
I was like crying. <laughs> no, I just seen. I don't know, man. It just killed me for some reason. And it me was, too. It was. I don't know. Like whether it's BFFs, whether they end up being like in love in twenty years or like in one year or something. I don't care. Their bond is so gorgeous now. And you think about like the way that he thought about her at the start of the show and the way that she is. There was one bit that just killed me. I, I know you have a big bit here about the uh, the string, and and it was obviously very noticeable, but just when she's kind of talking about like being insecure about having gotten it wrong and stuff like that. And she was by being, you know, no scent, like no bomb, but just the way that she kind of goes, I got you in trouble, like quietly, like about the way that she said that destroyed me. I was just in fits. It was so, so beautiful and upsetting. And she was like, she cares so much about him and it's just, I I love how at ease she was in his room too. She just, yeah. Lying on his bed, just like perfectly comfortable to be hanging out with him. Like, I love it. And I was kind of thinking. And he was comfortable. That's yeah. another big thing, yeah. too. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, I was thinking about whether there's any sort of part of Styles' brain that's going, you know, like his past self being like, lol, this is <laughs> happening. What the hell? Like, or whether he doesn't think about like her anymore, whether he ever kind of takes himself out of his current situation and is like, wow that sure is Lydia and she sure is my BFF hanging out on my bed. Like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of really weird to think about. Like if, if you thought about someone you, you felt like that about like for so long, even in like a childish way or whatever. And then like later on got close to them. Like the only thing I can think to compare it to is like celebrities who were not that famous and then become more famous and then end up becoming friends with people they were fans of, if you know what I mean, which does happen like to like people who are kind of like nerdy celebrities and stuff like that. And that's kind of what it made me think of. Like on one hand, you're like, yeah, this is my friend and we're like chilled together. But on the other hand, you're like some part of you is like, oh my God, this person is my friend now kind of thing. And not that I'm speaking from like full on personal experience, but I've seen it happen with people and I just, uh, I don't know. It's just a, a weird dynamic. And it also always makes me wonder what people think, like if there's a little part of them sort of internally screaming or whether they kind of forget the past or, or what. Yeah, definitely. And also in this scene, like you mentioned, is that red string. And this and something else we're going to talk about came from Tumblr. It wasn't from our minds. This is really well put together. The original post was from Cole the Wolf. And we'll make sure to link it so you guys can see the reference and all of that. But um, I'm just pulling a chunk out of it for now for this part because they mentioned the red string of fate. And it sort of plays into this and it could be symbolism. And I just thought it was really interesting. But basically, the red string of fate is an East Asian belief originating from Chinese legend and also used in Japanese legend. And basically, according to the myth, the gods tie a red cord around the ankles of those that are to meet one another in a certain situation or help each other in a certain way. And then it goes on to say, often in Japanese culture, it is thought to be tied around the little finger. So the fact that Lydia was kind of convulsively tying that string around her finger and then Styles kind of comes over, takes her hand and then he undoes it and sort of throws it away just kind of seemed a little significant. But the other thing that I want to point out too is that the red string, according to Styles, it means that the mystery is unsolved. And so her tying that around her finger also seems significant to me in that way too. 
Yeah, I mean, I do think it was something specific to kind of focus on, like, sim- you know, symbolism-wise. And I don't know, but I don't know, though. Like, I, I, fi- I, I don't understand. I kind of can't predict how that would be something that would be explained, if you know what I mean. Like, if they'd ever, like, go into that, like, you know in some sort of flashback or in some sort of way or if it would just be uh, an unspoken symbolism if you know what I mean definitely seems like an unspoken thing so you can go back and be like look at all these little hints that they were gonna get together or something right yeah I don't think they're ever gonna be but the red string of fate tied us together like you know like (laughs) but it's a nice kind of imagery thing yeah definitely pretty (laughs) (laughs) styles um, so basically the whole point of this scene, other than breaking our hearts for Lydia and Styles, is that Styles figures out that Barrow was covering his scent and that's why they couldn't find him in the school. So he and uh, Lydia go to the school and Lydia walks up to the chalkboard and sees a bunch of numbers written on the chalkboard and she figures out that they're elements and the names of the elements spell out Kira and that's who Barrow was after. So did you guys, I know on the last episode I was thinking that um, Barrow was going to be going after Scott because we saw him attacking Scott and I was like, oh, well, for some reason he's going after Scott. Maybe it has to do with Agent McCall, something like that. That was wrong, obviously. But did you guys have any idea that Kira was going to be his target? No. I And I don't understand why he would, like, leave clues either. I was so distracted by how convoluted that was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't, why would you do, like, is this like a Bond film? Like, why are you leaving clues to what you're doing or who you're after on purpose like why would you do that I don't yeah on the one hand I'm like wow that's really clever especially the way that it was revealed and the way yeah yeah it It out I feel like maybe it's just because he's nuts like maybe but I I kind of feel like it was a little bit of like showmanship in far in in terms of like storytelling in terms of because I feel like they wouldn't have realistically left a clue to who they were after. That makes no sense. And so I feel like having that there was more of a, a storytelling device rather than a piece of realism, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it actually probably would have made more sense if Lydia went into, like, one of her trances or something and mm. started writing the numbers on the board. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or if, like, they had gone to her father's classroom and were like, oh, Mr. Yukimura, oh, Kira, or something. Mm. Instead, they're like, oh, there are elements on the board. Yeah, I I find it weird that he, that man himself, like, Barrow, left a clue as to who he was after. He took the time to go to a chalkboard and write the elements that spell out her name. Yeah, I feel like that was... Yeah, I've just seen a, a tweet, actually, on... Twitter literally from someone in Australia who's watching it right now, Yvonne, one of our friends of the podcast, and she goes, I love it when killers leave helpful handy tips, and it's just like, yeah, pretty much, hey, like, it's kind of, just kind of odd and and a little bit, I mean, maybe they'll explain further, like, why he was crazy enough to to do that, but, but it's a bit odd to me, yeah, not gonna lie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, switching gears, we kind of switch back over to Peter and Derek, and Peter stabs Derek in the back of the neck so that he can talk to Talia. 
And although we see the wolf coming, you know, to jump on the nematon, which is in the middle of his loft, um, but, you know, hey, he's like in the dream world or whatever, uh, in a memory, I guess, would be the closest thing. Uh, and then it kind of cuts and we don't figure out what he talked to her about, presumably because we'll find out in the next episode, which is a direct continuation of this one. But the big thing here was that Peter was super worried that Talia told Derek something about him. And the look Mm -hmm. on Derek's face was kind of lending it to that possibility. And I know we sort of talked about this before, but um, I definitely agree with Caitlin in that I think that Peter is really worried that he, Derek, learned something about him that he didn't want anybody else to learn. Uh, maybe the stuff about Paige, like maybe Pete, maybe Talia got it out yeah. of, got it out of uh, Peter what he'd done in orchestrating that whole setup potentially of her getting bitten or killed or whatever. And that was it, my first thought and too, the, and, and I, I really just, hope that's the case because I need to know more about why he did all of that. that. Would, and also that would be like, you know, potentially like a guilt thing. Like he's worried that Derek will find out that he did that because he feels guilty, but Mm -hmm. it could also be more than that. Like it could be, you know, that he's got some really bad, you know, bad secrets as well. We don't, we don't really know. But yeah, I, I definitely was like, oh, he's like, is he paranoid that she's told him something specific or was it like, oh my God, does she still love me kind of thing? Like, and it just, it really kept flipping either way but I feel like that we're not just going to have a show focusing on like Peter's vulnerabilities and insecurities and it's probably actually more of a plot point (laughs) much as I would watch a show about Peter's vulnerabilities (laughs) and insecurities amen but yeah (laughs) especially since we kind of know his end game now I feel like there's going to be always this tension between you know when are they going to find out what Peter's actually up to Mm. I guess it's also in relation to Peter, I assume, knows what Derek wanted to ask Talia to talk about. So he knew that there was probably something he had to do with in whatever that conversation was. Yeah. And the nematon we don't know what was there it is, as but, well. Yeah. I mean, given the nematon was there as well, and that was the whole page thing as well. Maybe he's going to, oh, who knows? I don't, you know, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's. We haven't seen Derek and Peter, like, interact with the rest of the pack, right? We're, like, third episode in and they have not, you know, they've been at the loft, you know, now that they're escaped, but they haven't actually had any scenes with Scott and all of that yet or any even conversations. Right. So so do you think those plot lines are even going to meet anytime soon or? I think in the next episode. Given that they're going to have a party at Derek's loft. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be so interesting to figure out how that comes about. So wait for him to wear some pink holographic makeup. Woo! <laughs> Seems totally in character. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, yeah, I need to know why this is a thing immediately. Like, I need to know. Yeah. But, oh well. Um, all right. So, Caitlin, you should take this next point because <laughs> Natalie and I are incapable of talking about this, I think. <laughs> oh, my God. I am so much to say and yet all of it is just screaming yeah yeah no exactly fantastic so they're allison and isaac are in allison's room and they're trying to do research on the flies because they're trying to figure out what's going on with that and isaac keeps kind of pushing at allison like he wants to kiss her and she's challenging him and he's like 
He's like, why would I want to kiss you? He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And his face is amazing. He's kind of like, uh-huh. <laughs> and then finally, he's, Isaac gets up and rips his shirt off. <laughs> and then kind of stares at him, and then she rips her shirt off, and apparently they're playing, like, sex chicken or something. <laughs> oh, no. And then the door slams open, and there's Chris Argent, and he looks at it's them. so and then, weird. And then just goes, Allison, can I see you in my office and I live where I keep my guns? And then so Allison goes off and then you hear another werewolf. It is so amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> because okay, was... let's just talk this through very closely because I just I don't want anyone to get like the wrong idea about like, you know, Isaac and Allison and like whether he's like, you know, being like inappropriate with her or whatever. But what is she doing? Like, because he's He's there on the bed behind her, and yeah, he's like leaning over her shoulder, and she kind of feels him, and she turns around. She, I'm not saying, oh, she put herself in this position, like rape culture or something, with, you know, oh, she deserved it because she was wearing a skirt. Like, no, it's not what I'm saying. That kind of stuff is insane. That's not what I'm talking about. She literally puts herself in the position. She turns us, she turns around to him into his face, and is all like, you know, hello, here's my face. And then when he actually goes <laughs> for it, she's just like, lol, what are you doing? And it's like, she literally put herself. It wasn't like she was. He wasn't not reading signals, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, he was. Right. He, yeah. But then she kind. Of, I don't know if she's like actually conflicted. If she's like trying to pretend that she doesn't want what she actually wants or anything like that. Like it's it's really strange. Like she literally tries to go for it, and then when he does, she's sort of like, no, as if I want to go out with another werewolf. God, no, I would never kiss you. Never, never, never. And then he's just like. Okay, fine, I don't want to kiss you either. Takes his shirt off, literally looks down at his own abs, being like, come at me, bro, I know, I know you want this. And then she's kind of, like, looking at him, being like, yeah, I really, really do. And then uh, it's just that him looking down at his own abs is the thing that kills me. I just can't handle it. It's just I don't understand why, who taught him that was, like, the solution. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's she doesn't want to quite give in to her feelings. I know it'll convince her. I'll take off my shirt and let her look at my body. Uh, I guess. So just backing up slightly, because I agree with you that Allison, like she turns to Isaac and then she kind of does lean in a little yeah. bit. And then, so he mm-hmm. leans in and she's like, what are you doing? And I think part of the reason about it as well, like, it's yeah. Like, yeah. And I think part of the reason is that she does have feelings for Isaac, but she's still kind of guilty. So she feels guilty because of Scott and all of that, because she still clearly has feelings for Scott. And I think that, yeah, it's just kind of this conflicted thing, but I also feel like there's just this almost kind of purely sexual tension between them. Like Allison and Scott sort of fell in love and yeah, they were physically attracted to each other, but they also had a lot more time to kind of figure out who they were as people. And they went through a lot together in the beginning. And I feel like all of that kind of was shoved under the rug between Isaac and Allison. And so it's kind of this like purely physical thing between them. That's the thing. When he took off his shirt being like, fine, we don't have to kiss. 
we can just have sex without kissing. Right. That's kind of what the impression took, like, yeah, of that yeah. whole, like, oh, we're both taking off our clothes thing got me. And I was just like, I just can't believe this is a real thing that's happened. Like, I was just like... <laughs> yeah. Her she electrified her windows. Yeah, and she, like, she was like, oh, someone's coming in, and then she hears this, like, yelping, like, a small girl puppy. And he's like, oh, no, it's okay. It's just Isaac yelping um and it's just it's like they get off on the kind of not arguing but like the kind of oh I don't like you I don't like you either it's like that's what they do like if you know what I mean like they find that amusing and like titillating to each other it's really weird but when he whips off his shirt I was I was literally screaming into a pillow because like (laughs) it was like 11 o'clock at night and like everybody was asleep and I was trying to be quiet but I I was laughing so hard it was so funny I was like it just it's just the way that he looked on his face like he it was achieving something and I mean it kind of was but just (laughs) the fact that he like knew it would achieve something and like it just, I don't know. It just, it was horrible. It was incredible. I don't understand. It was. Yeah. It was. <laughs> I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but this was by far the creepiest and the funniest episode of Teen Wolf, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that those two things are so at odds and yet they did them so well in one episode is just, that's the reason why I love this show so much. Yeah, it was. That that thing with the flies was probably the grossest thing that the show has done, in my opinion. And the scene with the Allison and the, and Isaac in the shirts was probably probably the funniest scene of the show ever for me. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just can't believe that that's a real thing that happened. I just... I just <laughs> I'm sorry I keep saying it, but it just... I'm just like... I just, it was just so defiant, and I just, I have too many words, and none of them make sense. I'm sorry. Yeah, um. basically. Let's let's move on to, like, an actual real plot point that's, like, important, <laughs> because we should probably do that at this point. Yeah. But basically, because every time I think about that scene, I just start laughing, and I can't stop. So, mm. all right, moving on. Um, basically, Barrow takes Kira. And uh, he bashes Scott over the head and Scott wakes up and Lydia is really frustrated with herself because she feels like she knows exactly what she needs to do, but she can't figure out how to put her banshee powers to work. And she Mm -hmm. sort of says, it could just make me scream. And so Styles says, then Lydia, scream. And she does. And she figures out that the buzzing she's been hearing is electricity. And they now they know where to find Barrow and Kira. But the thing here, I don't know why. I don't have a specific reason. But I just, I really, really, really loved this scene with Lydia. Because she finally is getting a little bit of control over her powers. We're finally learning a little bit more about her and how they work and everything. And mm-hmm. just... Seeing, you know, Styles and Lydia working off of each other like that is just, it's one of my favorite things on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's its interesting the kind of, she had those uh, sensations, I guess, like that kind of instinct, you know, and, and whether, you know, how to activate it. And just just her sort of, when she did understand what she, she meant, you know, when she was like, oh, it's not flies, it's electricity, she just seemed so much, like, lighter and, like, like you could sort of feel how anxious she had been before like how how anxious it had really been making her to not be able to grab what she needed to do if you know what I mean mm-hmm, definitely and I mm-hmm. love when she whips around and the two boys kind of jump back like they don't know what to expect <laughs> that's mm. so funny 
What, like that she was going to be like a big monster or something? I, I like, don't know what you were thinking, but Styles definitely jumped, and I think like Scott jumped in reaction to Styles or something, but <laughs> Styles was a little worried there for a second. Mm. I mean, the fact that they figured it all out, like in terms of what Barrow was doing, where he was, you know, they said he used to work in a substation, does seem to imply that he was like from the area, that he probably hadn't been in New York where Kira was. Like that he was you know, that he was from that area, that he'd been in one of the local counties and that none of the, you know, hospitals had wanted to treat him. So I am kind of going with if Kira was, like, one of his past victims, that he they went away and then came back, if you know what I mean. I also kind of have a idea that, I mean, once again, obviously we have this with the Hales, but if Kira is what she seems... You know, if she is actually a kitsune or whatever, that she also might be older than she looks and that she might, you know, that the whole family, you know, might be older than they look. If there was the internment camp, like maybe her mother, her, you know, if her mother is like the last surviving member of her family, um, you know, and she was in an internment camp, that means, you know, she was a kid in the 40s and it's now 2014 and, and that maybe he tried to blow up teenage Kira five or ten years ago or, you know, whatever, and that she's still a teenager now, that they went away and to, you know, New York and then they've come back and she's re-enrolled to teenage life. I don't know. This age thing with Teen Wolf always confuses me, but uh, if she is one of his past victims, yeah, I'd like to know how long ago that original uh, incident was, if you know what I mean. She just looked so surprised, though, that I I have a hard time thinking that she would be aware of that. Oh, of the of whatever she is. Like if she were really yeah. old, she'd be aware that she was not human. Yeah. In some degree, but she just seemed so startled by it. Yeah. So let's talk about that right now because that's basically the last major thing that happens is basically Scott shows up. He can't stop Barrow. And Barrow ends up putting the electricity to Kira, and instead of it killing Kira, some weird thing happens where she sort of blows everything out, and then she ends up, like, soaking in all of the electricity in, like, all of Beacon Hills, which is kind of crazy. The first question I have here is, do you think Barrow is really dead? Oh, was he meant to have been killed by that incident? Because I don't think that he was alive to start with, exactly. (laughs) yeah trick question i don't don't know know. um because on wolf watch they specifically said that both the surgeon died which i hadn't realized i thought he would have survived or something i mean they were Mm. in the hospital already and that barrow also died but i'm not totally convinced that's what's happening like i don't know maybe it's because i don't want doug jones to leave yet because he's so fantastic at being creepy yeah but i really kind of a waste yeah, I feel yeah. like it's not. I feel like it's. I feel like if he survived that, like, heart bursting open on the operating table, like, full <laughs> of flies, that he's probably not dead from this. There's more story there. Definitely. So then the other thing is obviously, what the heck is Kira? Because, you know, everybody sort of assumed that she was the Kitsune, and maybe she still is. But there's been talk about this other thing, and it has to do with the Raiju mythology. 
And it's a legendary creature from Japanese mythology, and its body's made of lightning. And I guess it most commonly takes the form of a wolf, but it can take the form of a fox. So there's a connection between a fox myth and, you know, lightning, which kind of bothers me because even though, like, lightning, electricity, yeah, you know, it makes sense they're connected. But this wasn't specifically lightning. It was electricity from a power plant. So I don't know if... They're stretching and combining different mythologies to turn it into something on their own, or if this might just be like a power of the kitsune or something. Yeah, I, I'd i never sort of heard that before, obviously. I don't know that much about it, but, um, you know, I've read other supernatural things that, you know, soak up lightning or electricity or whatever, but I don't know if they're going for something specific or if they're sort of making up their own version of you know, a combination of different things. I don't know. Yeah, like she did look startled that she was doing it, but she she looked upset. I don't know whether she was shocked or whether she was like stressed to be revealing herself, like if it was completely new or if it was because she was revealing it to other people when she's trying to avoid it. But I wouldn't be surprised if she had no idea, really. That's what I'm thinking too is that she was – shocked she had no idea and now she's like um what's going on with me they've just gone so much out of their way to show her as like this quirky normal girl like normal in every way that it would seem weird like if she knew she was weird like does doesn't mesh with like the quirky here's all the research you did for the boy you like kind of thing just those two don't really mesh to me so I'd be surprised if she was aware yeah, I mean, it was similar to sort of Jennifer Blake, but then with her, she was aware, so we maybe we go for the other thing because they can't keep using the same idea over and over again. True. Very true. But then basically, as all the lights go out all over Beacon Hills, those creepy guys and those creepy masks show up and attack Isaac in Allison's room, and that's basically where the episode ends. So say it'd be really great if Isaac could go like a single episode without getting the crap beaten out of him somehow. <laughs> nah, um, <laughs> he's the new Derek, you guys. Oh, yeah, you know he takes off his shirt to get what he wants. Um, <laughs> but people, uh, so presumably they got in. You know that whole you know electrifying the windows was you know a plot point because they got in when the electricity died uh you know presumably through the windows but i keep being really shocked when these episodes end this season every episode this season and i haven't really had this before i keep losing track of time and being really shocked when it goes black and thinking there's something wrong with my file and not realizing (laughs) the episode is actually over so they've been really going at it really hard and, and making me sort of you know forget that you know these episodes actually end and we don't get the whole story all at once I keep looking at the clock and I'm like, God, there's only like 20 minutes left, but I don't know anything yet. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so that was quite the episode, quite the barrage of information I've, and reveals. I've also just uh, seen that this episode was written by someone called, um, I'm, I'm really bad at like Irish names, but um, I think it's um, Eogan. Um, it's E-O-G-H-A-N, which is an Irish name, but Yogan O'Donnell, and it's the first time he's written an episode. Uh, so uh, that's uh, 
you know, the, the I guess the, the level of humor and the level of creepiness. Uh, obviously, Jeff has his hand in everything, but it might be down to this guy, and it's the first Teen Wolf episode he's ever written. So kudos he to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Hopefully he'll get to do some more. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope so, because that was, I think, pretty fantastic all around. I haven't seen really too many complaints about it. No. Um, but that kind of segues well into our sort of feedback section this week. We're not really doing regular feedback because I really want to talk about this post that I saw on Tumblr. This is the one that I mentioned earlier from Cole the Wolf. And again, we will link to it. And I'm not going to read it because it is massive. But the gist of it is that people are seeing some quote-unquote continuity errors in Styles' clothing. And they're coming to think that maybe it isn't an error, maybe it's not a mistake. And this has to do with a white shirt with a blue, like, collar and sleeves. Like a ring, yeah, it's a ringer T-shirt, like, where it has the uh, the hems, like the sports, mm-hmm. you know, the, the hems in that different stretchy material. Right. And basically, he's been wearing it fairly often in these last few episodes. And people are kind of just like, why would they have them, like, repeat an outfit for him? Especially since it's not anything particular. It's just a pretty plain shirt. And the more interesting thing is that in this episode, uh, we see Styles in a shirt with a palm tree pocket. And then he sort of... I think I have this right. He leaves his room or he leaves some room wearing that shirt and enters into another one. He's back into that white shirt with the blue trim. And was he wearing it in this episode as well? Yes. Interesting. Which is to back to him in the shirt with the palm tree pocket. And so I don't know. I don't think this is an error because first of all, that would be a huge error. And I mean, they're usually pretty good about this sort of thing. And I don't know. I, I need to watch the episode again just to confirm it and kind of see the situation. But they do have screen caps here so you guys can look for yourself. But let's just, you know, take this as gospel for now and just think about what this could possibly mean. Do you think that everything has been a dream so far if he's sort of just changing, like, outfits on a whim? It's also a uh, a very unstylesy kind of shirt. It's like he always wears a graphic t-shirt of some sort. This is very plain and it's kind of like uh, like kind of just a very plain gym shirt and you know could be something that you would wear in in hospital or something. I'll just give that shirt with the palm trees a shout out by the way because I've got a feeling it's one of the um Serengeti uh oh, shirts yeah. that Tyler Posey's friends make that he's always promoting the hell out of I've got a feeling it's one of those but regardless of that uh I'm just looking now at like in this episode like he wears the the palm tree shirt and then he's wearing that and then yeah no it's gotta be it's gotta be a thing it has to be a it has to be a thing in regards to I don't know if it's like he's snapping in and out of a dream because it's it's very confusing, but I don't know if it's like he's snapping in and out of consciousness in some way, like like if he is in control of his mind at different points, or whether it's literally like a flashback, or or oh I don't know, um, it's very very heavy. It's like Teen Wolfception going yeah. on here. I feel like 
I think it's interesting if it's a dream. I imagine one of them is the reality and then the other one's representing yeah. like a dream state. Yeah, but like, I mean, this scene where he's in the classroom and in this episode where he's wearing the palm tree shirt and then he goes out of the room and then he's wearing the the new shirt, I mean, the, the ringer shirt, and then he's wearing his old shirt again, that is not a continuity thing. That is on purpose. And it's just, I f- feel like it might be like states where he's in control of himself or not in control of himself, you know, where he kind of... Okay, like in Doctor Who, like have both of you seen Doctor Who? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in the bit where Amy is in the process of having her baby and she keeps flashing between like when she's in the – her consciousness is in the ganger that's travelling with the doctor and then she snaps back to where her real body is, which is in the hospital with the eye patch woman, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I feel like that might be a thing, like his real self, his real consciousness is somewhere else and he's like snapping – back into it or out of it in some way. I don't know which one is the real one, but Isn't yeah. this also the scene where they find the letters on the chalkboard, which we were saying is weird. So yeah. if that's somehow related to it was really weird that the that clue was left on purpose and then this clothing thing is happening. That's interesting. So do you think that me Maybe, like, Styles' mind could have generated that clue. Like, maybe he kind of instinctively knew about it, and then that happened so that they could solve it and figure it out. Well, remember when Lydia drew this um, sign on the chalkboard and when that one teacher went missing? So maybe it's something similar. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) This is very stressful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Presumably this will be explained at some point, let's hope. And, yeah, but for now, I guess we'll keep looking out for this and going back and and watching it and looking out for these moments where this has happened because it's really, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going on on purpose. It's such an unstyles-like shirt. It seems like something that could be like a hospital uniform or something like that. And if it's flashing in and out of scenes, it's, you know, that that's not bad continuity. That's them stopping the scene being, like, put on the other shirt and then continuing on, if you know what I mean. It's not like, oh, he shot this on a different day and he was forgot to do a wardrobe match. Like, they're not that bad, you know. It's, it's not – that's not a thing that's happened in continuity. Like, so – Oh, God. Uh, we, do, we don't know, but give us your best theories on that, I guess. And, yeah, keep looking out for it, I suppose. Now I'm not going to be able to unsee it. So For some reason, right. it makes me think objects in mirror are closer than they appear. Yeah. Just uh. somehow that comes to mind when I'm looking at that. <laughs> it's weird. Okay. Oh, God. All right. Too much psychological thriller. So is that the only only bit that you wanted to talk about for this this week? Yeah, I think so. That was really kind of the major thing, and we'll just definitely have to keep our, our eyes out. But as for our non-sequitur section, it's yeah. your turn for a question. 
Yeah, I mean, this actually kind of weirdly segues from that. You slightly. can't do that, Natalie. <laughs> I know, it's just a coincidence. It's a strange, it's actually a strange coincidence because I kind of didn't know where the conversation was going to lead and I thought of this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, basically, I was going to ask you, do you guys have like a piece of clothing, any kind of piece of clothing that you've basically had like since childhood or for like a long time that either you'll never, th- you just keep it and you'll never throw it out or you even like still wear it in some way? I don't think so. There used to be a couple of shirts that really meant a lot to me because they, I'd gotten them in certain places. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they had a lot of memories attached to it. I think I actually still have quite a few of them. Um, they're tucked in a drawer. I definitely don't wear them anymore. So I'd have to say not ones that I wear, but I do kind of understand, yeah, having that connection. The only thing I can think of is that I played softball for 18 years, so I have a gazillion t-shirts from various tournaments that I played in, and I have, like, a lot from when I was 12 years old, and like they don't fit or anything, but I just keep them as kind of a mem- like memorabilia from tournaments yeah. that I played in. But that's really it. Yeah, I have a couple like that as well, mainly from like singing and like choir events. Like uh, we used my choir as a child used to do like this big like mass choir with like all these other schools at like the Sydney Opera House, and it was like a co- a concert every year and like the t-shirts that everyone wore in that as like the uniform for the whole choir. I probably still have a few of those, but I also have this like one track suit that I probably got when I was like 10 or younger in London. And it's like a green, like, you know, track pants and sweater that it must've been really big for me when I bought it because about 10 years ago I went camping and I cut the sleeves and the legs off. So it's shorts. It's like a, it's now like a, a tank top and shorts, but it still fits and I don't know why. And I generally wear it as pajamas or like working in the house, but I can't believe it still fits. It's really weird. Cause I really got it as a small skinny child and I'm now a large adult, but it, uh, yeah, I won't be getting rid of that, uh, anytime soon, but it's, it's just very strange to me that it still fits. My, my little brother had like a pair of hospital pajamas, which is kind of why I thought of this that from when he was literally two years old, and in the hospital, and I've got a feeling they didn't have any that fit him, and they gave him some, like, massive ones that he was drowning in then, but he had those, like, till he was, like, he could wear the shorts of those until he was a teenager, which is insane. I mean, he's pretty thin, but, like, but, yeah, I mean, the T-shirts thing is, like, there's a lot of companies that make them into, like, quilts and stuff now, which is kind of a cool idea to maybe get one day, like, a, like, a wall, like, a wall hanging, like, quilt made of, like, the the patch, like the logo from all the different t-shirts. So I'm thinking about doing that one day, but is there something you have now that you think you'll uh, keep forever, if you know what I mean, like a merchandise or some, you know, something from your recent life that you know you'll, you know, no matter how much of a, like, old adult you'll become that you (laughs) will keep? (laughs) I have a lot of T-Fury shirts that, are Doctor Who based that I don't think I'll ever be able to give up, <laughs> even if I can't wear them anymore. So those might be turned into a quilt someday. I've Although got I'll the probably still be ones. wearing them. Yeah, yeah, I'll probably still be wearing them when I'm fifty, though. Mm. Have you got that one that's like the the 
Disney and Doctor Who, like the Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yeah, I yeah. have Alice. Uh, yeah, Alice and the TARDIS, and I have the um, Mary Poppins too. Mm. That one. Yeah. Because Karen Hallian is the best artist ever. Just have yeah. to say that. <laughs> oh, nerds. Um. <laughs> well, cool. But yeah, next week we have. Episode 16, Illuminated, and this is a straight follow-on from this, Halloween night, uh, and it's going to be the famed and fabled blacklight party due to the power outage. And apparently Derek has given them permission to have a blacklight party rave (laughs) in the loft, and I just need to know how this eventuates because it seems like the strangest thing that's ever happened, even stranger than... Isaac ripping off his shirt, being like, come at me, bro. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Got any theories about why that's going to be a thing? I mean, not why. We know it's like a Halloween party because there's no power, but like how Derek is, is down with that. Maybe they drug him and hide him in a closet. <laughs> Do they even know that he's back yet, though? That's kind of what I was thinking, that they just mm, take yeah. over they the loft. They use the loft. Yeah, that, like Isaac's like, I know where we can go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and she like shows up in the promo for this and like starts punching people like bad people not just random teenagers and so he's probably going to show up pretty pissed when he sees his loft is covered in paint I and there are cannot people wait for that <laughs> i cannot wait for that it was that'll be that'll be golden so yeah that will be that will be fun and so next week we'll have another special guest for you who will remain a surprise until you hear their voice on the air presumably and um you can chat to us about this episode on the twitter or the tumblr or the email or hyperball and you can chat to caitlin too if you want to um you're on twitter and tumblr right i am Purple Haired Wonder on Tumblr and Purple Haired Wonder, Purple HRD Wonder on Twitter. Okay. We'll link to those, but you can chat to Caitlin on those things or about Arrow or Supernatural if you want to. Anything, I'm sure that she'll be back on the show with us at some point, but you can chat to her there about this episode as well if you would like to. Please do. Cool. So we will leave you there and say bye to everyone for this week. And and we'll see you all next week after we've discovered um, how the teens of Teen Wolf get away with uh, throwing a blacklight party in Derek Hale's loft, which I think has been, like, the literal most wondered about question for all of 3B, <laughs> uh, the most yeah. desperate information that we need to know. So, yeah, see you then. And it's appropriate because yeah. it'll be our 50th episode. It will. It'll be a party and it'll be our 50th episode. That's exciting. Maybe we should wear some blacklight makeup while doing the <laughs> episode or something. Uh, we'll work it out. Uh, but, yeah, maybe we'll have some sort of surprise for you. Maybe we won't think of one, but maybe we will. So tune in. <laughs> oh all right we'll go now so i'll say bye to you guys so bye-bye bye everyone bye just trying to like push my cereal out of reach so I don't like eat it on air and make crunchy noises because um that would be bad but I really want to eat it um
<laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll put the cereal up on this shelf where I can't absolutely eat it. Okay. 